In our last message, we saw that after Jesus had been tried by the Sanhedrin and sent to Pilate so that he might order Jesus' crucifixion, Pilate, after examining him and finding no guilt in Jesus, looked for a way to get out of his circumstances. And when he found out that Jesus was a Galilean, he found an opportunity to have no longer anything to do with Jesus. And so he sends him to Herod for his action. And we find in Luke and other gospels where Herod then starts to examine uh, Jesus. And, and it says, now Herod was very glad when he saw Jesus, for he had wanted to see him for a long time because he had been hearing about him and was hoping to see some signs performed by him. Now, this is the Herod who decapitated John the baptizer. Now, John the baptizer wasn't just a prophet. He was the cousin of Jesus. And when Jesus was doing his ministry, there, were, there was thought by Herod that perhaps John had come back to life. And so he was fearful of this. So he wanted an opportunity to, to see Jesus. And he then also wanted him to perform some sign, which means Herod's not unlike many people even today. They're interested as long as Jesus will perform some. He'll perform some miracle. Either they or a family member or a good friend becomes ill and they expect Jesus to perform miracles and to heal them. And if Jesus doesn't do so, then he really isn't God. And they're, just, and they're looking for signs and miracles. Jesus isn't looking to perform them and to be a performance artist. He's there to produce faith. And Herod is not going to be faithing. And so Jesus doesn't perform any signs for him. And he questioned him at some length. But he answered him nothing. So Jesus isn't participating in this trial at all. He just remains silent as the scriptures say that as a sheep remains silent before his shears, so does the son of God. And so he says nothing. And the chief priests and the scribes were standing there accusing him vehemently. So they're not satisfied with Jesus just remaining silent. They keep accusing him and bringing accusations. They don't do this in a mindset of neutrality or calmness. They're, they're vehement. They want to see Jesus dead. And Herod with his soldiers, after treating him with contempt and mocking him, dressed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. So Herod doesn't, render a judgment. Herod simply mocks him along with the soldiers. They dress him in a, in a beautiful robe, uh, mocking him as the king of the Jews, uh, but do nothing further. And so he basically sends him back to Pilate. Now in verse 12, it says, Now Herod and Pilate became friends with one another that very day, for before they had been enemies with each other. Now it's not clear why that was. We can speculate. Maybe it had to do with that Herod felt that by Pilate sending Jesus, a Galilean, to him, he was acknowledging somewhat of his territorial jurisdiction, and that made him feel comfortable with Pilate or whatever. Uh, we're not told. We're just told at one point there was 
There was enmity between them, and now they're good buddies. So after sending them back, we see Pilate, in verse 13, it says, Pilate summoned the chief priests and the rulers of, and the people and said to them, you brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you make against him. Again, Pilate reasserts that Jesus is not guilty. He said he was not guilty before he sent him to Herod. He's been back. He still finds on And he further clarifies verse 15 says, No, nor has Herod, for he sent him back to us. And behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. So Pilate says, You've had three trials. Your trial, I've conducted mine. Herod's conducted his. Two of us have found him no, not guilty, not worthy of death. Now, this is where I then kind of disagree with the other people. A lot of people thought and, and assert that Jesus gets scourged beforehand. The reason I don't think so is because Jesus keeps being sent back and forth. And after getting scourged, it's kind of difficult on your body. Second, I view Pilate as trying to figure out how to get out of this situation. So now I think what he's thinking is, if I punish him, if I scourge him, that'll be sufficient for them, and then I can walk away from this. I don't have to condemn him to death. So Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him. Now, I find the gospel writers interesting. Every sermon I've ever heard and every movie I've ever watched on the crucifixion will incite your emotions on this. The pastors will talk about how the scourging with the cat of nine tails and how it will rip the skin out. And, and it's an emotional impact. And I remember watching this movie, and, I won't, and you'll know which one I'm talking about, but I won't say, where Jesus is, is being uh, crucified. And before this, they show the scene where he's being scourged. Now, I understand that that was an actor portraying Jesus. And the movies will try to get you involved in the movie and to whatever, and I get that. But there was a scene that affected me more than any other scene in the movie. And I'm not saying Jesus did or didn't do this, but it would be something that I would, could see Jesus doing. And that is when the actor is being bound at the post and he's being scourged. In one of the strikes, he falls over and he gets up and places himself back to be scourged, continuing. And that is how I perceive Jesus, that he took the scourging willingly and with full punishment. He was going to take it all. But the gospel writer says he was scourged. No attempt to get our emotion. No attempt to, to get us to, to react in such a way. It's, it's even less than a newspaper account. They scourged him. But we're also told that by his stripes, we are healed. 
Every time they, that whip came down, we were healed the more. He was inflicted with punishment, and we were healed. He was inflicted with punishment, and we were healed. So perhaps we don't need the emotion of the writer. We can see in our own selves what he paid for and how we benefited. And not only this, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put a purple robe on him. And they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews. And they gave him slaps in the face. Now, if the only thing done to Jesus throughout this whole ordeal was for them to mock him and slap him in the face, that was more than we deserve. Because if Jesus is the Christ, and he is, and if he is the Son of God, and he is, then being treated this way is not only reprehensible, it is beyond belief. But yet he took every single mock, every single slap, we won't even talk about the times that he's hit with reeds and given a reed as if it was a, a uh, scepter, being mocked, dressed twice now with purple robes, a crown of thorns on his head. And he did that for you and for me. Now, To say we don't deserve it is putting it mildly. But this is the love of God. The scripture says before that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever might believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We are told later by Paul that God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't wait for us to turn over a new leaf. He didn't wait for us to repent. He didn't wait. He sent his son to be abused and scourged and slapped and mocked and eventually crucified because he loves us. Now, we love to sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And yes, Jesus loves me, and yes, Jesus loves you. And yes, the Father loves you, and yes, the Father loves me. But I want you to, because all too often, in that Jesus loves me, we emphasize the me. We emphasize, Jesus loves me. You're not that lovable. I'm not that lovable. I'm more lovable than you, but you're not that lovable, and I'm not that lovable. And even in our best days, we are not that much to write home about. So it's when it, we say, Jesus loves me. The me is the minor part. It's Jesus loves. Because it isn't what he did to show us that he loved. Jesus loves. It is what God is. And yet, 
it, because God is love, he demonstrates that love towards us. And so Jesus is demonstrating his love for us, even though we don't deserve it. Even though as we go on, we're going to find ourselves in the same place that often Pilate was and Herod was and those who are accusing Jesus and the soldiers and the passerbys and the soldiers, we're going to see some part of who we are in this whole experience. We might even see as a part of who we are, Peter in the denial or Judas in the betrayal. But yes, Jesus does love us anyway because it's not about who we are, but who he is. God is love. Matthew, verse 19 says, And while he was sitting on in the judgment seat, that's Pilate, his wife sent him a message saying, Have nothing to do with that righteous man. Notice she didn't have any conversation with him. For last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. So she's warning her husband. He's not someone you want to mess with. I'm fearful. Yes, it came in a dream, but dreams can have some serious impact, especially, and he's going, don't do this. In the gospel, Mark, it says, now at the feast, he being Pilate, used to release for them any one prisoner whom they requested. The man named Barabbas had been in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the insurrection. We also find out in another gospel, he was also a thief. So Pilate's thinking, I have this innocent man, Jesus, and I have an insurrectionist and a murderer and a thief. His name is Barabbas. And I'm sure he's thinking, if I give them the choice of these two men, they'll pick Jesus to release and I can do what my wife says and be done with this. Now, the interesting thing is the man who is the insurrectionist is named Barabbas. We are told his name, I think, for a very important reason. For you see, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the son of God. Bar in Hebrew means son. Abba means father. The son of the father versus the son of God. Which one do you want? The names are basically the same. Son of the father, the son of the father. One a guiltless man, the other a guilty man. And the crowd went up and began asking him to do as he had been accustomed to for them. And Pilate answered him, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he was aware that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. So he knew exactly why Jesus was there. It's because the chief priest didn't like who Jesus was and what Jesus was teaching. So they wanted to get rid of him. And so John again tells us, Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. And then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. See, that's why I think this is when he was scourged, was because 
they place the crown of thorns and the robe on him. And he's bringing, and I'm sure what he's doing, he's saying, here's an insurrectionist. Here's a man I've just scourged. I've just punished. I've just beaten. Certainly you will have sympathy on him. And Pilate said to them, behold the man. So he's presenting Jesus with a crown of thorns and a purple robe having been scourged. And so when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, crucify, crucify. And Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. And the Jews answered him, we have a law. And by that law, he ought to die because he made himself out to be the son of God. No, he didn't make himself out to be the son of God. He is the son of God. You see, these religious leaders don't have a clue. And therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. Now, you know, I don't find any guilt in this man. My wife sends me a message to have nothing to do with this man. And now the accusation is he's the son of God. Pilate's afraid. And so many times that's exactly how people are. They are afraid to commit to Jesus because of what others might say or think or what position they might lose. Therefore, when Pilate heard the statement, he was even more afraid and he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, where are you from? You know, if you tell me Galilee, I'll discount. Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you do not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you? And I have authority to crucify you. Pilate thinks he ha- he's in charge. That's one of his problems. He thinks he's in control. A lot of times we think we're in control. Way more often than we probably ought to think. And Jesus answered, you have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. The only authority you have over me is because God is permitting it. Don't kid yourself. And for this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Now, I want you to notice something. The people who delivered Jesus to him are one, Judas, and the religious leaders. And Jesus says, they have the greater sin because of their participation. But notice, he does not absolve Pilate. They may have the greater sin, but Pilate is sinning. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. But the Jews cried out saying, if you release this man... You are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. So now they're they're threatening him saying, Pilate, you're the governor here. If you release him, we're going to tell on you. We're going to tell Caesar that you permitted a king to live. For everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Well, I thought that's kind of what they wanted. They wanted their own kingdom. They wanted their own nation back. 
I'm not going to read this, but the gospel then tells us that Pilate washes his hands and says, I am innocent of this man's blood. He can say that and he can do that. But he isn't innocent of Jesus's blood. And in response, Matthew tells us, and all the people said, his blood shall be on us and on our children. What a prophetic statement. Yes, his blood is on them because they cried out, crucify him, and they are guilty and they are sinful. But it is not a coincidence that this is happening just prior to the lambs being sacrificed for Passover. For the blood on the doorposts and the lintel, when God saw that, the angel would pass over and leave those inside harmless. And the blood on Jesus The blood of Jesus on us renders us innocent, enters us protected. We have been passed over from the sins previously committed. Then he released Barabbas for them. When it says, but after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. Now, I don't think Jesus is scourged and then crucified. I think what Matthew is trying to tell us is, that Jesus was already punished. He was scourged. That should have been sufficient. He was punished. But now he's been punished and condemned to be crucified. John, the gospel tells us, therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat, a place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, about 9 a.m. And he said to the Jews, behold, your king. So they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he then handed him over to them to be crucified. He then sentenced Jesus not only to die, but to die a horrendous death. And we'll talk about that later in coming weeks. For centuries, the Catholic Church viewed the Jews as responsible for Jesus' death. It was only a few decades ago that they officially forgave them for that. The Catholic Church was wrong, period. I will tell you who is responsible for Jesus' crucifixion. Everyone there and everyone who's been alive before and everyone who's been alive since. Because it was for our sins He went to the cross. It was our sins that nailed him there. It was our sins that caused 
the spear to pierce his side. It was our sins that scourged him. It was our sins that caused him to be mocked, to be slapped, to be ridiculed, to be beaten with reeds. It was our sins. The band is going to come in a moment where it sings our reflection, you love me anyway. And in the transition of the song, it talks about that I am the sweat from his brow. And I am the thorns on his head. And I am the nails on the wrist. And I am Judas's kiss. I am all of those things. And praise God that he loves me anyway. But it's not because it's me. It's because of his love for me. And his love for you. We are all responsible for his sacrifice. It's not this group or that group or that person. It's all of us. But he willfully sacrificed himself. As it said, Pilate had no authority unless it had been given. Jesus knew that he would be obedient to the Father, even to the point of death, because the Father loves us and because Jesus loves us. And so when we sing that you love me anyway, I want us to concentrate less on me and more on his love. Because if it's true that we're Judas's kiss, he still loves you. If it's true, and it is, we're responsible for pounding nails into him. He loves us. And we're going to see some amazing love on the cross. So often, we are so convinced that our sins are so terrible that God could know, there could be no way God would love us. Just as you don't understand how large God is and how he could create the universe by simply speaking, you don't understand how great God's love is because he just doesn't love. He is love. And I keep saying that over and over because he is love. He doesn't just love. He is love. He is the definition of love. You look up love in the dictionary, you ought to find a, even though there's no picture of God, a picture of God because that defines love. So it's not how great your sins are. It's how great his love is. And nothing you can do can separate you from that love. And we see that in a tiny portrait of where the gospel writers simply report to us what happened without emotion, without trying to to manipulate us to doing that but they're telling us the story that we might respond in faith, not emotion. And that is what I'm asking you to consider now. He's not responding in emotion, but responding in faith, knowing that he loves you because he loves. And all God's people said, stand with me as the band comes to sing. <laughs> 